Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. Thank you, Pastor Jeff, and thank you, Lise and Joe, for making this happen Happen in ter- terms of creating a space where we can reflect on Scripture. Um, I think there's nothing more important than waking up in the morning and uh, embracing the Word of God. There's nothing more powerful, no- nothing more, more able to guide us in terms of what to do the- during the day. Now, we're going to look at uh, Deuteronomy 22 and 23. And one thing that struck out to me is um, um, the fact that it talks about laws. And a lot of people get put off by the word law because everybody doesn't, most people don't like lawyers, okay? And most people don't like being told what to do. Um, But, and then there was another thing that I, I thought about and it had to do with the fact that how do we read the texts? How do we read scripture? You know, it, because it's how you read that determines what you get out of it. Um, if you're a theological scholar, there, there are two major ways of looking at things. One is reading into the text or reading out of the text. In other words, the difference between the two has to do with do I look at it as at a distance and say that is for them? Or do I look at it as, you know what, I'm going to embrace this thing and it's going to be mine. So when I looked at Deuteronomy 22 and 23, in fact, it was yesterday that I got, you know, this aha moment was um, the fact that the two texts actually deal with something called kindness, that the intent of the laws were to bring about kindness from us, kindness towards others, kindness towards animals, kindness towards each other, or kindness even to our own selves. And that struck a chord to me in terms of, oh my goodness, I need to look at kindness a little bit more carefully when I look at this text. So I'm going to use kindness as the springboard to which we ought to learn how to look at Deuteronomy 22 and 23. I know I'm going against the grain in terms of the fact that it's about laws, but I'm saying embrace these laws through the notion of kindness. And from the outset, from uh, Deuteronomy 22 verse one to four, it's the kindness that's supposed to be demonstrated towards your brother or your sister, for that matter, regarding his animals. Now, it's important that when we, when we talk about animals, we, we're talking about an agrarian community. We're talking about people that were farmers. We're talking about people that were out there in the land. That's how they made their living. Um, we're not talking about urbanites, per se. We're talking about people that were out there in the land and being able to um, fend off the land 
or in other words, be able to uh, get a richness or make an economy out of the land that they had, that they were given by their fathers or that they bought. So what used to happen was everybody had a piece of land. Most people had cattle. Most people had plants. Um, so there are both plants and animals. So in that very context of the word, and in other words, everybody was using that to make some money. You know, you grew your vines in order to, to sell them or, and also uh, use them yourself. Or you had a cow, not, not only to uh, eat for yourself or to store for the whole season, uh, but also to, to sell and to get generate income. So it's important that we understand that God in, in this particular text, in my humble understanding, is telling the Israelites through a legal system where it's like, you know what? I know you don't like your brother, but you have to exhibit some kindness because he is your brother and sister. So I shall read a portion of the text. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. Let's take a pause here. Imagine you have a herd of cattle and you're the shepherd. And these animals keep on wandering all over the place and it's exhausting sometimes because I grew up as a farmer. It's exhausting sometimes looking after animals and some of them disappear as you, you may have very well known uh, about the, uh, the parable about the lost sheep. Some of them disappear from your presence or from your eyesight. And it's difficult for you to actually bring everything all at once because as soon as you bring one in, the other one disappears. So when you see your brother's ox, that's a male cow, or his sheep going astray, don't hide yourself from them. In other words, rescue the animal that belongs to your, your, your brother. Rescue that which belongs to your sister. In other words, that which is someone else's is also yours. A case and example, um, when I got my first degree, uh, my grandma was like, aha, she never went to school never went to uh, primary school. She said, aha, I can now tell the village that I now have an education, I now have a degree. And I said, grandma, what do you mean? And she said, well, what you do is what I do because you're part of me. In other words, that's brotherhood. That's being part of the same family. It's like whatever Jeff does and Jeff exhibits in terms of um, progress, I share in that progress because I'm part of that progress, whether he likes it or not, all right? It, it's not mine because we live in a cultural system that demands so, so much about uh, mine, it's mine, it's my car, it's my horse, it's my this. But in this particular legal system, it's not about me, it's about us. It's about us as a church. It's about us as a community. So we look out for each other. And if your brother is not near you, if I continue, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. You shall do the same with his donkey and so shall you do with his garment, with any lost thing of your brother's. 
which he has lost and you have found, you shall do likewise. You must not hide yourself. Now compare this notion of the legal system with the fact that when you find someone's wallet, you don't keep it to yourself. You take it to uh, the policing system, all right? And then the policing system, after a certain number of days, if the owner has not um, um, sought for it, then it becomes yours, all right? So in other words, what I'm driving at is that a lot of these legal systems that we have, much as we don't like them, are actually hinged on scripture. Even in the military, it's the same thing. A lot, a lot of uh, the military stuff that we have is actually based on scripture. Like, for example, um, you, can't walk in, you can't walk by yourself. You have to walk in pairs, which is synonymous to when Christ talks about um, when you go out witnessing or when you go out uh, spreading the gospel, you don't go by yourself. You take your brother with you. So there's logic to embracing the Old Testament much as th there is logic to embracing the New Testament. Don't ever disengage the two. They're absolutely compatible. There's a reason why, why God is demonstrating in Deuteronomy 22 why he wants these legal systems. And then he also talks about purity and clothing. In, in verse 5 of 22, the command is one of keeping a distinction between the sexes in clothing. In other words, men dress differently from women. That's the whole understanding. In other words, if you get into a situation where you have to describe an incident, it's very easy for you to determine <clears throat> from the outset whether this is a male or a female. So that when you're giving the policing system or the legal system, what you saw, then you start with the fact that this was a man and this, he was this height, or this was a woman and she was that height and so on and so forth. So a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. And in six and seven is a command that demonstrates kindness to animals. If a bird's nest happens to be before you along the way, in any tree or on the ground, with young ones or eggs, with the mother sitting on <clears throat> the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely let the mother go and take the young for yourself, that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days. In other words, <clears throat> God, through his ultimate understanding of a natural system, uh, a natural system that, that, that works well within itself, he, he knows that they're human beings and he knows that they're animals. And it's our responsibility to also look after the animals, to take care of the animals. I know some of us are not feline lovers. In other words, you're not cat lovers or dog lovers. But bottom line is you've got to show some kindness. You just can't um, smack them or um, be um, aggressive towards them because you'll suddenly realize that there is a legal system that we have right now, where if you demonstrate a cruelty to animals, then you will be, um, you'll find yourself in legal trouble, all right? So where are they taking that from? I would suggest it's the scripture. In other, in other words, a lot, of, a lot of the legal stuff that we have has a basis in scripture, or at least you can determine that from scripture. 
Um, verse eight, building codes and liabilities. You know, when you, when you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. In other words, when you build something in your home uh, or outside of your home, you need, you need to take care of the fact that it's not, this is not just your house, it's also for your neighbors. Because if the neighbor shows up at your doorstep and the parapet falls on him, then you get yourself into legal trouble. And then obviously laws of sexual uh, morality. I mean, I think that when we've hashed it so many times in verses 13 to 21, where it's like um, marital deception. Um, it's assumed that, that sex, out of, sex out of wedlock is pre pretty much prohibited under these circumstances. So if there's an accusation of marital deception, in other words, the text says that if any man takes a wife and goes into her and detests her and charges her with shameful conduct and brings a bad name on her and says, I took this woman and when I came to her, I found she was not a virgin. Then the father and the mother of the young woman shall take and bring out the evidence of the young woman's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And the young woman's father shall say to the, to the elders, I gave my daughter to this minor's wife and he tests her. Now he has charged her with shameful conduct saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin. And yet these are evidences of my daughter's virginity and they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. Then the elders of the city shall take that man and punish him and shall fine him 100 shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman because he has brought a bad name on a virgin of Israel. In other words, the bottom line for this legal system is such that um, there's equity. What you sow is what you reap. If you sow bad deeds, you will reap bad deeds or something will happen to you in terms of the legal uh, infraction that you you've, you've done. And then in chapter 23, it's the legal system that pertains to people that are not part of your flock, you know, outsiders, non-familial members, uh, those who've been excluded from the congregation of Israel, you know, the, those who are not Israelites. So if you look at uh, um, the slide there, the non-Israelites were people that were eunuchs. They were people of unknown parentage. They were the Ammonites and the Moabites. And I think we spoke about the Ammonites and the Moabites yesterday in terms of the fact that they came from Lot, uh, Lot's, uh, Lot sleeping with his daughters, okay? And they were the biggest menace that the Israelites had to go through when they were get, going to the promised land. The Edomites and the Egyptians, they weren't Israelites. And then the issue of um, when, you've, when the Israelites interact with people from other races and other uh, uh, communities, Cleanliness was an issue. In other words, they didn't do the customs that the Israelites were actually doing. There were slaves that had escaped. There was sacred prostitution in some of the temples. The interest rates, the banking system, the vows that they took, the gleaning by travelers. Um, so in other words, there were legal systems to people that, that were not necessarily part of your flock. And for our day today, I would suggest that if you if if we are Christians, how is our posture 
towards non-Christians? How is our posture towards um, uh, people who don't believe in God? How is our posture towards people who don't uh, confess Christ the way that you do? How is your posture? And that's a challenge to each one of us in terms of, you know, they don't look like me. They don't do things like me. They don't cough like, like I cough. Um, they don't celebrate the way I celebrate. But you have to give them due respect because they're still part of God's children. So those who are excluded from the congregation of Israel in verse 1 are the eunuchs. Eunuchs were people that were emasculated by crushing or mutilation, and they were not required to enter the assembly of the Lord. In other words, uh, I remember one of my professors, uh, he was a Baptist, uh, he passed away, Grant, uh, um, he, he was in uh, Regent College, Cary College, um, Cary Theological uh, College now. And he was doing his thesis on uh, the issue of homosexuality. And at the end of the day, uh, after much discussion with him, uh, he came to a conclusion that from a Baptist perspective, you still respect the individual, but you don't respect what they're doing in terms of offering them a seat uh, in the leadership. And that was how did he, he resolved the conflict or the tension between an outsider who wasn't a, a part of the flock is that yes, you can come and worship with us, but for heaven's sake, don't get on the pulpit and tell us what to do, all right? That was his conclusion. And each one of us may arrive at different conclusions in terms of people, people who are not necessarily of our own flock. And these are tensions that we wrestle with on a daily basis. How do I bring in someone who is my brother, my blood brother, but doesn't believe in Christ? What about my mother who doesn't believe in Christ? What about my father who doesn't believe in Christ? How do you resolve that tension? Do you run away from them? Or how do you embrace the fact that, that they are your, your parents or they are your brothers? And then in verse two, those of unknown parentage were also excluded from the assembly of Israel. So one of the illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. The Ammonites and the, and the Moabites were also excluded from the congregation of Israel. Even to the 10th generation, because they did not, meet with, did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. In other words, the Ammonites and the Amorites, much as they were from Lot's lineage, and Lot was related to Abraham, the Ammonites gave the, and the Moabites gave the Israelites such a hard time. They fought with them. They refused them to enter into the promised land. And the legality of, of, of them doing that was them being banished from the assembly of the Lord. In other words, when the Israelites would gather uh, to, to worship the Lord once a year, they were excluded from those, from those gatherings. And it's also uh, it, because of the fact that the Ammonites and the Moabites 
much as they were somehow related, they didn't meet the Israelites with bread and water. I mean, here are travelers, people who've been walking for days on ends, and then you don't even give them bread and water. You know, that's, that's a tough thing. You know, much as you, you hate them, you still have to feed them. You still have to provide water to them. Be because in the New Testament, it talks about when you do that, it's like you're heaping coals of fire on the person. Verses seven to eight, the Edomites and the Egyptians, that is of the third generation, are permitted to be among the congregation of Israel. In other words, they, they became part of the civil leadership in Israel, the Edomites and the Egyptians. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian because you were an alien in his land. I mean, Egyptians really mistreated under these, these circumstances. They really mistreated the, uh, the, the, uh, the Israelites, um, making them you know, build uh, uh, the pyramids, okay? And the pyramids actually are actually uh, places of, um, they're like graveyards, believe it or not. And the Pharaoh was buried there with all his entourage of, of, of servants. So, so much as we look at even uh, uh, um, uh, those building structures, you know, we think that this is such a, 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 an architectural feat, but at the same time, it's, this is a place where the Egyptians not only buried themselves, or when they died, they, they were buried there, but they also buried their servants. And some of them probably were Israelites. So you can imagine that kind of tension when you have an enemy that is, you're, you're, you're pretty much living around. H how do you behave towards them? And then cleanliness in the camp. Um, these are uh, miscellaneous laws. And just a gentle reminder that I'm looking through this through the kindness frame. In other words, be, being able to, to, to be kind to, even to your enemy, being able to be kind to the person that's really hurting you. It's difficult. It's, it's a struggle. It's painful. But can you imagine Jesus Christ exhibiting his kindness on the cross for you and I? Yet Paul would say that we are, you're wretches. So Jesus, through his kindness, dies for us. And at the, at the end of the day, we're able to be part of his kingdom. We're able to be part of his entourage in terms of when we get to heaven, he will be our ultimate judge in terms of, you know, God, I know these people. I died for them. So it's important that when we call ourselves Christians, we exhibit that which Christ did. And Christ was looking through the lenses of the Old Testament. He was looking through the Torah. He wasn't looking through the New Testament, okay? Don't forget that. Which means he was reading scriptures like these and trying to interpret them for himself. So Christ was kind. He was kind to even uh, um, the young man who sold him for 30 shekels of silver. He was kind to the person who cut someone else's ear. He was kind to the ones who crucified him. He was kind to the ones who took him to the, the legal assembly. 
He was kind to the ones who uh, said, crucify him and let the thieves go. So I hope you understand that the lens that I'm looking at, these two texts have to do with kindness. Kindness of not only the people that you love, but kindness of people that you don't love or will never love because of the, the pain that they have caused upon you or the pain that they have caused upon others. You still have to love them. And that goes with cleanliness, where cleanliness has to do, um, and I'll just read part of uh, from 9 to 14, but it shall be when evening comes that he shall wash with water, and when the sun sets, he may come into the camp. In other words, if something has happened, there, you, you had to wash your feet, you had to wash your hands. In fact, um, I don't know if you've ever taken the course um, um, that uh, deals with the Old Testament, the prophecies, the prophets. When the, uh, the priests entered into the Holy of Holies, they first of all began by uh, washing the, 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 themselves with, from the laver. You know, the laver was a basin. They washed themselves um, physically, the outward uh, washing of oneself. And then there was the inward washing of oneself. And I would suggest that it's important that we also wash ourselves externally and then wash ourselves internally as well in order to get into the presence of God or in order to be part of the assembly of God. And I think that's, that's enough for, for today in terms of uh, those two uh, texts. Thank you, Padre Ken. For those of you who may need to leave now and go on with your day, we bless you and we send you with kindness. May you uh, see those around you and deal with them kindly and, uh, and look to be, um, yeah, seen that way. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the HeartStrong shop with all kinds of merch like hoodies and t-shirts and mugs to remind you of this journey of discipleship that you're on. You can log in to heartstrong.life forward slash login to access your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become HeartStrong disciples together.